I would, I would actually love it if we could all just go to Corinth and learn from uh, the scriptures this am- about this amazing uh, a letter, and we could walk the Lycaean road as the Apostle Paul did when he was there uh, around the year A.D. 50, and we could see the marketplace where uh, he and Priscilla and Aquila uh, had their shop, their leatherworking shop. That's what Paul was. When you see the word tent maker about Paul's vocation, think of the word leather worker. That's what he did. He was, a, a, he was a, 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 in the trade and in the craft in order to support himself. And we could go to the marketplace there and we could see the vibrant and thriving economy that supported 80,000 People. It was the largest colony in the Roman Empire. It was the largest city there in Greece. And uh, it was a flourishing, flourishing city because uh, of all of the trade. There was trade that took place north and south that went right through Corinth. And then there was trade that went east and west from ocean to ocean. And there was just a little neck of land called an isthmus that uh, separated oceans. And, uh, uh, and so they needed dock workers and laborers and supervisors. They needed uh, grocers uh, for farmers markets. They needed bankers for the financial industry. Uh, they needed educators. There was a, a medicine industry that was a very vibrant there in Corinth. Uh, and there would have uh, been rooms to rent and taverns to attend, and there would have been an entertainment district. There would have been, uh, you could have gone to the different temples that we saw there in that video, the temple of Apollo, uh, the temple of Octavia, the temple of Aphrodite. Uh, We could go to the top of that 2,000-foot Acrocorinth is what it was called, this huge um, mountaintop uh, where there were other temples and a sort of another part of the city of Corinth. And then there was the theater district. And you one night might see it be entertained by music. And then another night you might be entertained by drama. And then and still another night the orators would come. And the orators would have mesmerized the crowds with classical rhetoric going back to the time of Aristotle. By the time the Apostle Paul came to Corinth in the year A.D. 50-51, it was really an ancient city then because Aristotle lived in Greece four centuries before the birth of Christ and gave the world this uh, style of rhetoric which was classical and Again, this was in the days before Amazon Prime. And so if you wanted to be entertained, you would go and and a a speaker would come and there would be educators and and a Greek rhetoric was more than just public speaking 101. It was a path to the good life. It was a path to success and achievement. 
Uh, it was a path that was more than just a matter of presenting well, but rather it was a matter of mastering law and politics and the sciences and logic and mathematics. And you would pull from all of those resources and organize a presentation based upon the crowd and, and oh my goodness, it, it was incredible. And, and all of this took place under the umbrella of a term, and I'm using it the way they meant it, philosophia, love of wisdom, philosophy, love of wisdom. Wisdom in their day was not just sage advice. Wisdom was a way of life. Wisdom was the path to success. Wisdom was to be erudite. Wisdom was to be a responsible citizen in Greek society. Wisdom was not just consulting. Wisdom was a culture. And it was into this culture that a rabbi from Tarsus, Saul of Tarsus, who himself was a Roman citizen and educated in his own right, Tarsus hosted a university that was one of the finest in the empires. And Paul of Tarsus came to Corinth and he showed up in a synagogue one day and he was asked to speak and he talked about the God who created the heavens and the earth. The God who made all that is seen and unseen. And this God then put on flesh and walked the earth. And appeared in a very seemingly insignificant part of the Roman Empire called Judea. And this God taught like no one ever taught and worked signs and wonders. This God, Paul said, was the fulfillment of the Hebrew prophets who had said for centuries a deliverer would come, a king would come to save his people. And just as the audience is trying to take in the coming of this majestic royal king, Paul said something which absolutely stunned the crowd. Some of them winced when they heard it. Paul said, this king was crucified. <gasps> that was a word not mentioned in polite society back then. Crucified? What kind of a king is a king who gets crucified? This king was and died and was buried. But then by the power of God, he was raised, not just like spirit, ghost, wispy-like, but a body, an imperishable, immortal body, never to die again. And this king has now sent his spirit onto his people. And this king says, if you will trust me and rely upon me and rest in me and find your peace and your worth in me, then I will come into you. You will be my temple. 
And they never heard anything like this before. I mean, there were temples all around Corinth you had to go to. Who is this God who comes into our lives and we become his temple? I mean, temples were built for emperors and conquerors, not crucified kings. And yet this king says, I want to inhabit your life and your body. And, 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 and lives were changed from the darkest part of Corinthian culture. It was like the light turned on. It was like someone said, wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead. (laughs) Because Christ shined on them. And a community was formed. The called out ones. The ecclesia. Ecle, out. Sia, called out. The called out ones. From all walks of Corinthian life, this church community formed in the name of Jesus. And just as Corinth was a colony of the empire, the church became a colony of heaven. And people looked at this community and looked at the quality of their lives and the love that they had for one another. And they concluded there's got to be something beyond this world. Because these people, the way they love one another. And that's the church of Corinth. And we, we are there. We've come after them. They are our ancestors. And everything that I've just said can be summarized in our text today, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, I'll invite you to meet me there. The Apostle Paul just rehearses his history of coming to Corinth. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. That is, I didn't use the classical rhetorical style of Aristotle that was so prevalent in your culture. And not that he couldn't, because he was a graduate of Tarsus. He was brilliant in his own right. But he chose not to use that style. Verse 2 says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. Do you hear the rhetorical style of that day? but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So in the power of God, this church was united in Christ, and they came together as an embassy of heaven. But you know, and I know, that the culture of this world is relentless and the pressure is constant. And 
even when Paul was, had been there a year and a half before leaving, over time, the culture of Corinthian glory crept into this cross-shaped culture of cruciformity. And this united community of faith became a fractured church of us versus them. Could that ever happen here? Oh, yes. So then what keeps the believers united both then and now? Here it is. In, in a divided world of wisdom from below, there is wisdom from on high that unites. In a divided world of wisdom from below, there is a wisdom from on high that unites. That is to say, Corinthian wisdom divides, but gospel wisdom unites. Two types of wisdom emerge from our reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I want you to pay attention to these two types. One type of wisdom considers life solely on a human level, excluding God, uninviting God from the table. Another kind possesses the very mind and spirit of Christ. Two types of wisdom. Wisdom from below, Corinthian wisdom, and wisdom from on high, gospel wisdom. As I read the rest of 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 16, I want you to listen for these two types, and I want you to listen for their qualities. Here we go. Paul says in verse 6, yet among the mature, and by that he means all Christians, I'll explain a little bit more about that later, Yet among the mature, by that all Christians, we do impart wisdom. That's Jesus. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age. You see the two types there that are being uh, contrasted? It is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. There's Jesus. That's Jesus' wisdom which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would, have not, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting, that is, explaining, spiritual truths to those who are spiritual, all Christians. The, the natural person, meaning all, all non-Christians, they do not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person, it's all Christians, 
judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is God's word. So, I mean, could you hear the two different types of wisdom being contrasted in these verses? I want to just explore that this morning. And what I want to do is answer three questions. I want to first ask, you know, what does Paul mean by wisdom? Let's really clarify that. What do we mean by, what's Paul mean by wisdom? Not what do I mean, what does Paul mean? And then secondly, how do you get it? How do you receive the wisdom that Paul speaks about? What's its origin? And then what difference does it make? What difference does it make? All right? So what does Paul mean by wisdom? How do you get it? And what difference does it make? What, where, and what difference does it make? Now, let me, let me just explain. Here's why this matters. Here's why this matters, beloved. These verses help us understand why we're here, why we've come, why, we're, why we've gathered as a church. These verses help us understand that. These verses help us understand why we became a Christian. These verses help us understand how people change, how people change. And, and they tell us how God changes us, which is where change comes from. That's why this matters. So let's just begin with question one. What does Paul mean by wisdom? Wisdom. Wisdom, it's a very important word in the mind of the Apostle Paul. In fact, in all of Paul's letters in the New Testament, the word wisdom appears 28 times. And of those 28 times... 15 of the 28 are in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2. <laughs> so it shows up a lot in these two chapters. And Paul says in verse 6 that the difference between uh, the, the Corinthian wisdom and gospel wisdom is that Corinthian wisdom relies on self. When you think of worldly wisdom, Corinthian wisdom... Wisdom with reference to just a human level, it's about self-reliance, self-dependence, self-help, self-confidence, self-achievement. Corinthian wisdom relies on self. I can do it. I can do it. I, I can do this. I got this. I got this. That's Corinthian wisdom. Gospel wisdom says, God, I can't. I believe you can. So gospel wisdom, wisdom says, God, I'm going to rely not on myself, but on you. It's all on you. Gospel wisdom focuses on God. It has reference to God, not just solely reference to life on a human level, but, but it's just totally dependent and trusting and leaning on God. 1,600 years ago, a pastor by the name of John Chrysostom preached this very passage of Scripture, and he said, wisdom is the name Paul gives to the gospel. Wisdom is the name Paul gives to the gospel. So you see what Paul is doing? 
Paul is redefining a very familiar word to the Corinthian culture, and he's giving it a gospel designation. He says, I want to, I want to take a word that you're very familiar with, and I want to give it gospel meaning. I want to baptize your word in Jesus. Your word needs some Jesus in it. And so, so that's what gospel wisdom is about. Corinthian wisdom was a way of life, and it meant advancement and achievement and success all on yourself. Gospel wisdom is the selfless love of Jesus Christ in his death, burial, resurrection for us, for our glory. If you want another reference to the difference between worldly wisdom and heavenly wisdom, you need only turn to James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. James 3, 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So spiritual wisdom, Christ-like wisdom, gospel wisdom shows itself in Christ-like behavior. But the wisdom from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. That's true wisdom, the scripture says. And it is wisdom that needs to be alive in God's people whom Paul says, he designates the terms mature and spiritual. Do you see those terms in 1 Corinthians chapter 2? Mature, he's talking about all Christians. Spiritual, he's talking about all Christians, not just a certain class of Christians. And why do I know this? Because these terms are identity terms. That's why. Think about it. God has called us out, so we're called we're confirmed, we are graced, we are blessed, we are sustained. And here, we are the mature, we are the spiritual. But I don't always act spiritual. God knows that. And yet, he still says, no, this is who you are. This is your identity. He sees us as mature. He sees us as spiritual. He sees us as who we are destined to become. So you are not who you say you are, and you are not who others say you are. You are who God says you are. The God who sees possibilities in your life. And that's why the scripture said earlier in chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, that we're called and sanctified and confirmed and enriched and graced. It's because of gospel wisdom. So when you hear the word wisdom, Paul says, think Jesus. Gospel wisdom is not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age. You see that in verse 6? It's not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. When Paul says by age, he means this world, the kingdoms of this world. They're fading. They're doomed, he says. How do we know this? How do we know this? Well, don't, didn't you see the video? They're Corinthian ruins. They're ruins. Listen, listen to me. 
One of these days, coach buses will come to Champaign-Urbana filled with tourists, and they'll let the tourists out. Okay? You see where I'm going with this, aren't you? Yeah. And, and they, will, they will walk among the ruins of buildings. What was this place? Oh, this place was once a university. Really? Oh, there's a library. Yes, it's one of the largest in the country. Wow. And there's a stadium. And there's an indoor stadium. Oh, wow. They'll see a, the living quarters of the students that came. My goodness, how amazing. And what is that building over there? Oh, that, that's a sacred and holy site is what that is. It's a green sign with a goddess on it. Yes, they serve nectar. They called it coffee. Oh, fascinating. Fascinating. That'll be $20 a person, please. I mean, really, it's going to happen. Doomed to pass away. Corinthian wisdom is temporary. Think about it. In the grand scheme, how much muscle and how much money are spent for little longevity? How many resources are being poured into something doomed? Paul says, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. And why is it secret and hidden? Because if God had not revealed it, we wouldn't know it. Here's the deal. You cannot reason yourself into heaven. You can't. You, 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 cannot think, you can't think your way into the pearly gates. Can't. God must show us the way or we'll never figure it out. And the rulers of this age didn't figure it out. Verse 8, none of the rulers of this age understood this, or else they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. Who are the rulers of this age? Well, he's talking about Pontius Pilate. He's talking about King Herod of Judea. He's talking about the religious rulers of the Sanhedrin. They did not grasp the self-giving wisdom of Jesus because they were too committed to self-reliance. And Corinthian wisdom gave them a myopic vision, and their, their world just shrink-wrapped. And they had a pint-sized vision of life. Think about it. Pontius Pilate locked eyes with truth. Truth who said, he who is on the side of truth hears my voice. And Pilate's best response was, what's truth? And he walked. Oh, I'll tell you what truth is. Truth is more than you can ever imagine. Verse 9. What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Gospel wisdom opens our eyes to unimaginable possibilities. Can you imagine a world with no racism? Can you picture that world? The gospel can. Can you picture a world where people of different political theories can sit down and have a civil conversation? Can you picture a world where the oppressor and the oppressed can hold hands and take communion together? Can you picture a world where a father who abandoned his family can be reunited without resentment or rage? Or where a spouse's adultery can be forgiven? without scorekeeping, 
where a, a, a prodigal son or daughter can return home, where siblings who have not spoken for decades can reunite, where churches that have split can love each other. My goodness. Corinthian wisdom can't imagine that, but gospel wisdom can. That's why Corinthian wisdom divides, but gospel wisdom unites. That's what it is. Now, I want that. Where can I get that? Where, that's nectar. Where can I get that nectar? Oh, well, that takes us to question number two, because you, you, it does not come by human discovery. It comes by divine disclosure in which God takes the initiative. That's why verse 7 says, God decreed. Verse 9, God prepared. Verse 10, God has revealed. See, God has to make the move. God has revealed to us through the Spirit. As I was reading the verses in this chapter, can you hear the Trinity? Mind of Christ, wisdom of God, spirit of God, one God, three persons, a triune community of oneness. Each person is God and there is one God. Diversity in oneness, meaning God did not create us because he was lonely, but because he is love. And, and Paul says in verse 11, look, just as your own spirit knows your own self and your own thoughts, so too God's own spirit has access to God's own thoughts. And just as you must speak to reveal your thoughts, God must speak to reveal his. I can't read any of your minds right now. And your minds are moving probably about five times faster than I'm speaking. And your minds are going, where have your minds been here just in the last two minutes, huh? Your mind, you're right, you, your mind wanders when I speak, guess what? My mind wanders when I speak. <laughs> yeah, I get it. But I can't read your mind unless you speak. And if that's true on a human level, how much more is it concerning God? We, we, if God doesn't speak, we won't know. And that's what's behind verse 11. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. So, God, so, so where does gospel wisdom come from? It comes from God who speaks who speaks. And furthermore, verse 12 says that God gave us his spirit so that we can understand the meaning and significance of his gospel wisdom. That's what's behind verse 13. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting or explaining spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Question, why do you hunger after God's word? Why? Why do, why do you come with your Bibles open? 
Why do you savor God's word? Why is this teaching time meaningful? It is because God, through his Holy Spirit, has come into your life and opened your eyes so that you can see and savor his word. That's why. And he's opening your ears so that you can obey what he reveals. And that, church family, is how people change. It happens because God takes the initiative, God speaks, God opens eyes and ears. People change when God takes initiative to do a work that no human can do. And that's why that church in Corinth formed. And listen to me. This point alone should rescue us from the folly of thinking that we can debate people into heaven. I've not led anyone to Christ because of my debate skills. Verse 12 says that we grasp God's word because of God's spirit and only because of God's spirit. Verse 14 says the natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God. For they are folly to him and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So if you're committed to self-reliant Corinthian wisdom on a human level, then the Bible will have no impact on you whatsoever. Because to the arrogant and self-reliant, the gospel is just folly. It's just stupid. But God-reliant people grasp God's word because God's spirit teaches them God's truth by means of God's grace. And, and we, never, we never need to, 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 to worry, I'll, I'll put it on that level, about how the world sees us. We, we really never need to worry about that because, because the world is not in a position, the world is not in a position to judge us. That's what verse 15 says. The spiritual, the spiritual person judges all things but is himself judged by no one. In other words, unbelievers are in no position to judge believers because they don't know what we know. And, and so in Athens, when St. Paul was called a seed picker, before he came to Corinth, he was in Athens, and in Athens, he was called a seed picker by the arrogant in Athens. And that's an insult. This, what's this babbler trying to say? What's a seed picker trying to say? That's like saying a... That, that, that's like going to Tulsa and, and saying dumb oaky. Don't say dumb oaky in Tulsa. Okay, that's like seed picker to Athens. You'll pick a fight. Don't go there. Well, Paul, that didn't keep Paul from preaching. Because Paul knows who he is. And when you know who you are, you can be unoffendable. Listen, listen. Blind people who can see can say, I know what it's like to be blind. But people who have always been blind can never say, I know what it's like to see. And verse 15 says that believers have an understanding about unbelievers that unbelievers don't have about believers. And, and that's why we need to treat unbelievers 
with patience and with a winsome spirit and without any condescending, well, you know, I know something you don't know and let me help you so that you can reach my level. No, that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, you know what? I used to be where you are. I used to be so far from God. I used to be self-reliant and I can't explain it. But God reached down and he grabbed me. And if he hadn't grabbed me, then, oh, Jesus, where would I be? And I can't even figure out why he grabbed me. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? And the chapter ends with, but we have the mind of Christ by his spirit. It's a wisdom it's a wisdom from on high. That's where it comes from. So we've talked about what it is, and we've talked about where it comes from, and now here's what difference it makes, and, and I'll sit down. It's, it's, it's three words that we've already covered. Here's what difference it makes. We impart a wisdom of God which he decreed, verse 7, before the ages, here it is, for our glory. For our glory. Beloved, God has a plan for our glory. God has a plan for our glory. Don't, don't skip by that. That's, those are three very important words. God has told us something amazing about our future, and it involves glory. In a year of unprecedented sickness and strife and uncertainty, God wants us to feel the hopeful emotions of a coming glory. And it's a glory that was conceived before the ages, verse 7, before time, before creation, when there was just God and only God, His wisdom was at work for us. And it's a glory that dives deep into the depths of God. It's not an afterthought. It's not a, oh, by the way, yeah, let me do this. No, it's a glory from the deep. And it's a glory that affects my mind and my spirit and my body. And it's a glory that promises imperishability. One day this glory guarantees, and Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 15. One day this glory guarantees an imperishable, cancer-free, virus-free, sin-free resurrection body. And it's in that body God will equip us, us, to rule in the new heavens and the new earth. And that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, 21 and 22, all things are yours. All things are yours. The world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God. Glory is waiting. And Corinthian wisdom cannot give you this. Corinthian wisdom is a hard, green, raw, unripe, Peach, but gospel wisdom, oh baby, it's juicy and sweet and ripe and moist and you bite into it and its juice just streams down your cheek and chin and stains your shirt. And what our community needs most right now is to see a congregation of united believers whose shirts bear drip stains of ripe 
gospel glory fruit. Amen? Fruit picked from the orchards of God's wisdom. And what the world needs to see us wear right now are these gospel-stained shirts. Wherever we go, whatever we do, we know who we are because we know who God is. And we know where ultimate glory lies. I'll say it one more time. Corinthian glory divides gospel glory, gospel wisdom. Jesus unites.